This is a Federal News Network podcast. Three sailors committed suicide aboard the aircraft carrier USS George Washington last month, all in the space of only one week. The rash of deaths seemed to highlight a serious and worsening problem for the military, quality of life and mental health. Federal News Network's Scott Massioni joins me with the latest. And tell us about what happened on that ship, beginning with where is it? Was it at sea when this happened or ported? Right. Well, this Nimitz-class carrier is right now in Newport News, Virginia. It's been there for quite some time. It's going through some regular scheduled maintenance and is going to be there at least until 2023, at least early 2023. Now, those three suicides were not the only suicides. Those were just a, a rash of them that happened in the last uh, last month. There had been five uh, apparent suicides over the past year and seven deaths in total on the ship. So it's something quite concerning for the people in, in charge and for the command Uh, commanders in charge of this. Um, We've seen at this point there were 400 sailors living aboard the ship. The ship carries about 2,700 people in total. The rest of those were living onshore, uh, either with their families or on some sort of barracks or bases. Interesting. So it's in dock for a couple of years of maintenance, which is how long it takes for carriers to get their scheduled maintenance. Sometimes I think there's a five-year period in the middle of their life cycle. And why would the Navy, do we know why the Navy has some portion of the crew living on it while it's undergoing maintenance? It can't be like normal conditions when it's at sea. Right. Well, I think at least some of them at least didn't have a place to stay or they were just working on the ship so often that they were staying there. Uh, It may have been a voluntary thing. But at this point, the Navy is saying that they're giving more opportunities for people to get off of the boat and go into, uh, you know, onshore barracks where things are just maybe a little bit more livable. As I said, there were 400 uh, sailors living on the ship uh, during that overhaul. On May 2nd, the captain offered to bring 260 of those sailors ashore. Some of the quality of life issues that they were concerned about were just cell phone reception on and Wi-Fi on there. Um, you know, just the opportunity to have some space. There was, uh, you know, reports of some trash and really just kind of it being dirty and kind of gross in the ship as things were being uh, worked on. You know, there's lots of noise. And as you can imagine, while well, they're trying to, uh, you know, break, make these the ship you know, back into shape. So quite a few issues with the quality of life and how people were were feeling on this boat. And do we know what effect this incident or these series of incidents had on the other sailors? Right. Well, as you can imagine right now, the the morale is not very good. And the Navy is trying to work with that as, as much as they can at this point. What they're doing is they've opened an investigation with U.S. Fleet Forces Command, and that's going down to Naval Air Force Atlantic to look into the deaths of these sailors, the correlations uh, between command climate, cultural issues, and the systemic relationship between them. And uh, really, they are just hoping to at least figure out what's going on with this uh, this this family of people, really. Um, you know, they're going to be considering if there needs to be any disciplinary or administrative procedures and, you know, how they're going to be dealing with this maintenance as it goes forward. Some of the other things they've been doing is they brought in a 13-person special psychiatric rapid intervention team to help with services from April 16th to the 19th. And then they also have added some extra psychiatric help on uh, the ship or uh, given people priority off in the Hampton Roads area, off ship, to meet with uh, psychiatric help if they need it. We're speaking with Federal News Network's Scott Massioni. So it sounds like there's a lot of 
fact-gathering and understandings they still need to gain. They only have two data points, really. One, that the ship is not at sea, and two, that a certain number of hundreds of sailors were still living aboard it amidst the maintenance, which tells you a lot, but it doesn't tell you everything. That's right. And, you know, they've also started doing some morale-boosting activities like video game competitions and a soccer tournament. However, NBC News reported that morale remains pretty low. Some sailors feel that these efforts are too little too late. Having a video game tournament after someone that you are very close with just passing away isn't exactly a nice consolation prize. And some sailors have felt that this is really a little bit of a tone-deaf situation from the Navy in response. And military suicides are one of those terrible but persistent problems. Just doesn't seem to be able to be mitigated no matter what they do, the steady drumbeat of them also among veterans. And so how does this fit into that bigger picture that the military, at least some elements of the military, are looking at with respect to general mental health of soldiers, sailors, Air Force, and Marines? Well, it's really just continuing the trend that we've seen the past couple of years in 2020, which is the most recent numbers that we have. Really, they're the highest numbers ever. We saw nearly 600 active duty service members kill themselves in that time period. And the military is really starting to take notice. They've created a special independent review committee to look into this, very similar to what the Sexual Harassment Independent Review Committee did last year. They're going to be looking at everything from command climate to you know, how people are feeling to quality of life to you know, what sort of surveys they need to do and everything else in between. And what they're hoping to do is glean what the Defense Department can do to help this issue. As I said, this has been consistently rising year after year. The Defense Department just can't bury their head in the sand uh, any longer with this. And not to say that they necessarily have, but the problem gets is getting worse and worse, and it's not getting solved. And, you know, as we know, this continues outside of the military as well when it comes to veterans, where veteran suicide becomes a huge issue is in tandem with this. And getting back to the USS George Washington, was all of the suicides among males or was there a mix of male and female sailors? There, there was actually a mix. At this point, they're not releasing a ton of information, as you can imagine, because they're trying to afford privacy to the families and also they're undergoing this investigation. However, it has certainly caught the attention of more than just the Navy. We saw that last month, Representative uh, Elaine Luria, who is the Democrat in Virginia, sent a letter to the Chief of Naval Operations, Michael uh, Admiral Michael Gilday, asking for answers on the conditions and climate aboard the ship. And she said she wanted a full report to the House Armed Services Committee and members of Congress accounting for what steps are being taken, what the command is doing, the safety concerns, mental health, and other issues that may have contributed to this really tragic loss of life. Right. A ship that big, when it's fully staffed, it's a lot of work just to keep it orderly. You know, like you say, the trash and the dirt and all of the other maintenance things just for sheer livability. But when it's sitting still and there's all this maintenance and you might have contractors coming and going so they get to go home or get to go into town for lunch or whatever the case might be. And I imagine the the potential for conditions getting bad just from a trash standpoint or odors or noise, as you mentioned, debris lying around is really way up there relative to when it's underway. You're exactly right. I mean, you've been on an aircraft carrier before, so you know that it's like a a bustling city when it's actually out to sea or when it's it's in full force. However, when it's not like that, it's almost like a ghost ship. And some of the things that the sailors reported were things that you just mentioned, poor living conditions, noise, garbage, sickening smells, 
long commutes, you know, there's not a lot of roads going right to the sea. So it's going to take a while to get from your house to actually to this this place if you're not living on the boat. So that was another reason some of the sailors were still living on the boat. But, you know, it just can't really be the best area to, to live in uh, if you're just kind of in this large steel contraption that's just docked for the next couple of years. Or you could take maybe a few days of it, but then you got a few days off of it too, so that, you know, there's an end point in sight, I guess. And so is the Navy, you said they're going to move a couple of hundred off. Any further plans that we know of? Yeah, well, this investigation is going to be going forward, and I'm pretty sure we're going to be hearing a lot more from the Navy as time goes on. They're right now looking for extra beds. As, as I said, they have 400 on the ship They've offered to move 260 off. That still leaves a chunk of them, about 140 left, that are still on the ship. They're probably going to be trying to find extra beds for them as well. And then just uh, trying to to keep morale up and and offer these psychiatric services as much as possible. Federal News Network's Scott Mossione, thanks so much. Thank you. And check out his story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. And today I'm thrilled to be joined by Melissa Bradley, the founder and managing partner at 1863 Ventures, an investment company focused on bridging entrepreneurship and racial equity and accelerating new majority entrepreneurs from high potential to high growth. Additionally, Melissa is co-founder of Venture Back Eureka, a community where small businesses gain unprecedented access to the expertise needed to grow their businesses and has more than 20 years of entrepreneurship, investment, and leadership experience. Melissa, welcome, and thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Who is the first person that you remember looking up to as a leader, and what was it about them that inspired you? So there are actually two people. Um, The first person, personally, was my mom. Uh, She was a single parent. And what I realized is that she was the leader of our household, but she was also the leader of our community. Um, She was a staunch advocate for children's rights in public schools, making sure that we got a quality education. She was a staunch advocate around rights for renters. Um, We were not in a financial position that we actually ever owned a home, uh, but she made sure that people who lived in various types of housing we were in regular housing, the people who were in regular housing, public housing, she made sure that their rights were advocated for um, and really just always kind of looked out for, I'll, I'll use air quotes, the little guy, while, although we were the little guy. Uh, and then I would say she was a huge advocate of older folks um, as part of her job. She worked during the week uh, in a full-time job and then clean houses on the weekend, but also took care of elderly folks and a staunch advocate for elderly rights. Um, So that was probably the the first leader. And then I would say the second leader that really came about professionally was a woman named Crystal Crystal Gaskins, uh, who actually ran a headhunting temporary firm that I ended up spending about a year at, but quickly realized that was not my calling. But in a world where you are constantly managing the powers that be that want to hire all these people and move people around and the folks who are sometimes in vulnerable positions and 
obviously seeking a job, she always managed to treat everyone with the, with the ultimate respect. And part of the business was actually um, managing hotels and getting service workers to show up. And that's a tough job, right, to try to motivate people who barely are getting paid enough under not great conditions. Um, and so she taught me three things. She taught me how to be a motivator and that recognizing leadership is not mandating, but motivating. She taught me that leadership is not just reporting up, but also reflecting and supporting those who may be underneath you from a hierarchical structure. And she also taught me that leadership was not about money, uh, but it was about producing positive outcomes for whoever your customers were. And if you did that, then obviously the money would come. How would you describe your leadership style and how has that developed over the years? Hmm. I would describe it, hashtag work in progress. Um, it, it has evolved over the years, I think, two ways. One, uh, the more people I've been exposed to in leadership positions have certainly helped me pivot and make adjustments. And then certainly as my leadership roles have elevated and probably as the more people I've been responsible for has elevated. Uh, you know, certainly being managing partner and founder of 1863 Ventures, we manage a lot of people. We have actually tripled our staff this year. And so we went from three people to oh, actually 12 people plus and growing. Uh, and we went from a couple hundred members to almost 10,000 members. And that's a big deal. Um, I, so my leadership style has evolved in terms of more people that I have reporting to me. I think it's, I, I focus on autonomy. I focus, I'm, I'm very clear that my role is to help other people be successful. Uh, I do set very clear deadlines. I am try to do a good job of kind of projecting what is the overall mission and vision, what are the KPIs and OKRs that we need to hit, and then I feel like I need to get out the way. I need not be a micromanager. I need to recognize, particularly since COVID, that people have kids, they have lives, they have ways that they know how they perform best, and so we now have people who work for me all over the world, and as long as we meet our deliverables, I don't need to know that you're sitting in a cubicle or sitting at your computer from nine to five, and that's because I've been at those nine to five jobs where I literally had nothing to do, but I knew I was told I had to be in the office uh, and it just seemed like a complete waste of time. And so I'm really laser focused on outcomes and productivity and advancing the vision and mission and not on what does it look like? Because I think successful work looks different for everyone. And then I would say more externally, as we now have grown to lots of members and we have a social media presence and I talk to people, I'm mindful that the, the probably the most important from an external uh, perspective on my leadership is that I am mindful that I am modeling, not just for myself, but particularly for other leaders and particularly Black women and certainly gay Black women. Uh, you know, there are not a lot of us. Um, you know, you mentioned that I'm a co-founder of Eureka, so I'm fortunate enough to be in the first 30 or so Black women that have been supported through venture capital, which is a sad statistic, but for a different topic. And so I'm mindful that people are always watching me. And I would say that certainly as a Black woman, people are always watching you, not always for the better and cheering you on, but waiting for you to make a mistake and slip up. And so I'm mindful that when I step into a room or I show up somewhere, I'm not just representing Melissa Bradley and my immediate family. I'm representing all of my members and potentially sending a single effect of what other people are going to expect as Black women. And the final thing I would say that definitely has evolved since now that I'm over 50 uh, is that I feel a much greater freedom to say what's on my mind. 
um, than I did before. And I, and I do that. I probably said what was on my mind before, but in a way that was reflective of my frustration and anger with the system. And now I say it with the expect, with the level of calmness and the expectation that it's important that we are honest around what do Black communities experience, and to phrase it in a way not based on anger, but really using data. And so I would say I've consistently been a staunch advocate for Black and Brown communities, but has evolved from being very reactive and saying, well, don't do this and don't do that, to saying, let me explain to you why I think it's important that we take this up and really letting the facts drive the discussion. Some of that probably comes from the fact that I've worked in two presidential administrations, and we all know that that just goes back and forth and often times based on rhetoric and not fact. And having six kids in a world of social media, I think there's something, the, the art of, of conversation based on facts and data has devolved to uh, opinions and pundits. And, and I think that's a challenge around leadership because your job is not, in my mind, to convince people, but to inform people and allow them to make decisions for themselves. I, I saw you on a post uh, with the Washington Post um, uh, interview, and it you were amazing. And it's interesting to listen to you describe what you just said, because I could see all of that reflected in how you responded there. And um, make one other quick uh, comment about as a company grows, WEPA is growing as well. And you are so spot on. We have, as, as leaders, we have to let go and trust those people that work for us and empower them to do their job and then let them roll. And that's not always easy. Cough and cold season is here. Introducing Ricola Max Throat Care, Ricola's most powerful drop yet. It's the best of Swiss nature wrapped around a powerful liquid menthol center for maximum relief from your worst cough and sore throat. Maximum nature for maximum relief. Try the new Ricola Max now, available in the cold and cough aisle. Ricola. It's in our nature. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.